Wow, it's been a full morning already. Lots of good things happening. It's encouraging. Um, this this week, uh, I put on the snow tires on our truck, and you know it's not that big a deal around here. People do that all the time. But the one wrinkle was I was doing it at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, um, because uh, that day, Tracy said, you know, I hope we can put on the snow tires, and I said I'll do it today. And it was 8:30. A little bit ahead of me, Jules. It was 8.30 when it occurred to me that the snow tires were still not on the truck. So I started gathering the tires and doing all this stuff. And, um, this is something that I wrestle with. I, if this were uh, an Overcommitters Anonymous group, I would say, hi, my name is Jason, and I am an overcommitter. I want to do things. I, want, I see great things that need to be done. I see things that even, not that great, not that fun, but in our house that need to be done. I say, yeah, I'll do that. And then two days later, Tracy's like, hey, how's that coming? And I just, oh, I've forgotten. I've so many things that I've wanted to do and I forget. And sometimes she gets really frustrated. And you know Tracy, like, she's a gracious lady. To frustrate her would take a little bit. And so, <laughs> most of the time. So... <laughs> <clears throat> But still, she gets frustrated with me. And I hate this about me. For me, it's vitally important. Uh, integrity. Uh, Dave was talking some about it yesterday at the men's breakfast about integrity. Integrity is so important to me. And it drives me crazy. I hate it when I say I'll do something and then I don't. And it happens a lot. I mean, I'm a fallen person. I fail at this. But it drives me crazy. And I think about the fact that, and one of the people I let down the most is Tracy, my wife. Um, and it's, it's hard for me. I hate it. But I let her down. And I'm wondering how many of you have had that feeling of being let down? Does anybody know what's that like? What that's like? You know those times when we trust someone? When we put our trust into them? Or they say they're going to do something and then it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And sometimes we... We do that often enough, or maybe it's, we do that with people enough, like our parents or our spouse or our kids, and it starts getting hard to trust anybody. It starts getting hard to put our trust in anyone. Sometimes that leaks into our relationship with God, even. We, we pray for things, and, and they don't happen, or we don't understand why they're not happening. And so our lack of trust or our fear of being let down can even seep into our relationship with God. I was talking with, uh, um, with Craig um, this Sunday, or last Sunday, and he was really discouraged about the fact that he had a hip surgery and the flight wasn't going out. And we just prayed. We prayed for God's faithfulness and for God to, to get the flight out and for surgery to go well. I talked with Craig yesterday. His hip, his new hip is in. The doctor said, you know, if you want to do kickboxing, I think you're going to be a candidate for it <laughs> just because how well the surgery went. He was so, amen, he was so encouraged. And I got that chance to remind him in, in the same process, in the same time, remind myself of God's faithfulness. But still we wrestle with this question, God, can I trust you? God, I see promises that you've made. I've heard promises. Are you going to keep them? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody wrestled with these questions? Those hard times in life when you're wondering, God, can I trust you? God, are you going to keep these promises? I have good news for you. 
in the Word of God, God speaks to us about promises and He shows us the ways that He's kept those promises throughout the generations. That's why I love the Word of God. I love the Scriptures because they were written so long ago and yet they are immediately relevant to our lives right now. Some of the most important things, I would say, no, the most important things of our life, the Word of God speaks to it right now. And I love the Word of God because as I'm, we're going to be talking some about Abraham, but <clears throat> it talks about God being a promise maker and a promise keeper. So let me just recap. We've, been, we've entered into this sermon series where we're going through the major moments of biblical history, of salvation history, of God's redemption of all the world and all of creation. And so we began three weeks ago with the beginning when God created and we focus especially when God created us, humanity. And he said, it says that he created us in his image, giving us this identity, this amazing identity as being created in God's image. But also, this, this vocation or this call for us to go and to be stewards of his creation, to rule and subdue it to make sure that God's creation, that his kingdom was working the way God wanted it to work. We were made stewards of his creation. Well, the next week after that, we started talking about Adam and Eve. Only a, like two chapters later, or actually one chapter later, and already humanity, us, we had rebelled against God. Adam and Eve, eating from the, knowledge, or from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, rebelled against God, and all of creation suffered because of it. Our relationship with God was wrecked. Our relationship with each other was wrecked. Our relationship with creation was wrecked. Everything was cracked and fractured. But God had a plan. God, thankfully, that was not the end of the story. Actually, in some ways, that was the beginning or just the beginning of God's plan of redemption, of redeeming all of creation, all of humanity. And so there's after Adam and Eve, there was Cain and Abel and their story of how sin got worse. And then there was leading up to Noah and the flood and then the Tower of Babel. And then we get to the story of God calling Abram, Avram, out of the land of Ur, which is most scholars think of today as modern-day Iraq. But he calls Abram. And he calls him into a new land. And it begins in Genesis chapter 12 and it goes all the way up to Genesis chapter 25 when Abraham finally, uh, when he finally dies. That's a quarter of the book of Genesis is about Abraham and about his family and whom his family would go on to become. Abraham, in Scripture, talking about Abraham as the father. And we're going to talk some more about that. But also that God made this amazing covenant with Abraham. This amazing covenant, covenant not only to give him a family, a great family that would go on for generations, but also a land, a home to live in, but also to make Abraham a blessing to all the nations. Not just his own family, but all the nations. So let's dig into this. So if you look, uh, if you look in, in your bulletins, you're going to find a, 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 a passage of sermon there. What I wanted to say about this is that God began or has this plan to make things right. Even when things were horribly wrong and cracked, God had this desire to make things right. 
Everything that went God, everything that went wrong, God was in process of making it right again. Now it's interesting because it was relationships that that one of the key things that broke were relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with creation. And so God begins making it right with a relationship, with a covenant relationship. So if you would, read with me. This is from Genesis 3. It said, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, that should say 17. This is from last week. This is Genesis 3. That's not Genesis 3. That's Genesis 17. So have I lost credibility with everyone now? Because <laughs> Sorry, thanks. It was 17, Genesis 17. If you want to, if you've got a pen, go ahead and scratch out the three and write 17. Just so people don't wonder, what kind of church are you a part of? But I wanted to pick up on a few things here. The first thing is that God, is that God when he was speaking to Abraham, he said, I will make you a blessing to many nations. I will make you, I will, and I think part of this he's talking about, obviously, or maybe not obviously, but I think he's talking about the children who would come from Abraham. I mean, you have, you have Ishmael and his ten sons, a whole set of tribes. You have Isaac and then his descendants who would become Jacob, and then Jacob's twelve sons who would become the twelve tribes of Israel. You had Abraham's, uh, I guess technically his third wife, Keturah, who had six sons. So many nations come from Abraham. But as you start reading the New Testament, especially Paul, uh, a Jewish man who was teaching to the Gentiles, who was proclaiming the good news to the Gentiles, he was saying that not only is Abraham the father of those nations, he's also the father of all nations through Jesus Christ. He's the father of all nations through Jesus. As Paul's writing letters to churches in Galatia, churches in Rome, churches in Colossae, churches in in Ephesus and Philippi, he's constantly trying to help them see that through believing into Jesus, we become these nations that God was promising to Abraham. And you think now about people all over the world who have believed into Jesus around the world. Millions, billions of people who are now a part of these nations, part of this promise. It's amazing to think about how big and how broad this promise is. It's so big, actually, that Abram, or Avram, his name, mean the great father or the exalted father, God changes it to Avram, Abraham, the father of the multitude. 
the father of many nations. So, not only is is God making this promise to Abraham to be father of many nations, but he begins filling it out in Jesus. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So if we, as you read some more there too, that you saw that not only was Jesus, or not only was Abraham the father of many nations, but also that through him there would be kings, great kings. Maybe some of you know of some of these kings. You remember them from the Old Testament. One of them I think of is King David. How great he was, how Israel, how the country, the nation of Israel grew under him. And then grew even more under his son, under his son Solomon. But I think there's even a greater king that God is speaking about here. A king who was a descendant of David. His name was Jesus. He came from Nazareth. He came from the house and the line of David. That he is this great king. And not only is he king over Israel, the rightful king, the Messiah, but he's also king over all the nations. King over all the world. Over all the cosmos. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So, God promises Abraham a family. And not only that, but this family would have great kings, but also he promises, promises him a land, a home. The Canaan, this land where he was an alien or an immigrant to, that God was promising this would be your home. This would be your home everlasting. That God has made a serious promise here to him. And we see the way God has fulfilled it. When, when Abraham, when his descendants, uh, namely Joseph and his brothers, when they went down to Egypt, and they stayed there, and then they became slaves in Egypt. And how God brought the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, back to their land. And then they lived here, and they, through a series of kings, both good and bad, God pushed those people, pushed them out into exile as part of their consequences for the ways that they had been unfaithful. But then he brought them back to the land. We see it even now. I mean, the fact is that there is a a new country or a state of Israel again. Just in the last century, that God seems to be fulfilling this promise again and again. So these people, he's made this everlasting promise. But the thing that caught me most is if you look right at the end of the paragraph, it says, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, I will be their God. If you ask me, that's the best part. Not only does he promise Abraham a family, a great family, from whom kings would come, and a land, and that he would be a blessing to all the nations, but also, and I would say most importantly, that he would be their God. That he would be faithfully with them. Steadfast love. That he would remain with his people, the children, the descendants of Abraham. In fact, one of his descendants, one of the descendants of Abraham, his name was Jesus. And actually in Matthew's Gospel, he talks about his name. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And how Jesus fills out this promise in surprising ways, in tangible ways, that God remains with us. That in Christ, God has entered into human history. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I want you to see that As God is making this promise to Abraham, he's promising him a family. He's promising him a home and that he would be a blessing to the nations. It's amazing to see what God has done. 
God has this plan to set creation right and he's working through Abraham and Abraham's family. Now let's take a moment here and just think about, let it soak in what we've been saying. These are pretty amazing promises that God has made to Abraham. I mean, think about it. He's talking to a 99-year-old man whose wife is nearly 90, who's been unable to have children. He says, you're going to be a great nation. You are going to have more children than stars in the sky. That's amazing. Not only that, he says, you're going to have a home, this place where you're an immigrant, this place where you are an alien. This is going to be your home everlasting for you and for your descendants. It's amazing, this this promise that God has made to Abraham. If it were anybody else making this promise, it would be ludicrous. It would be crazy. And it's not a surprise that Abraham, when he falls face down, he laughs. It says he laughs in his heart. Because he knows, he's like, God, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm 99, my wife is nearly 90, we haven't been able to have any children. How are you going to do this? But God is faithful. God is powerful. It's actually in this text that God refers to himself as Adonai. God who is powerful, God who can do these amazing things, who can take a 99-year-old man and his 89-year-old wife and they can have children. They can have children that will bless the nations. Not only that, he can provide a home to 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 an immigrant, a man who has no home at this point. It's amazing to see what God has done. That God is this great promise maker and at the same time he is this great promise keeper. The amazing thing is is that God is filling out these promises in Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. It was actually Jesus when he was talking. uh, Matthew remembers him saying when he was on the mount, the Sermon on the Mount. Many of you know that that particular part of, of Matthew's gospel. When Jesus was on this mount, he's teaching. He said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets or the Torah and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. And they find their fulfillment in Jesus. The words, the promises that God is making to Abraham, the promises that he's making throughout the Old Testament, they find their their fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus is the representative of Israel. He is the Messiah. As you start thinking about this, I mean, I, I think about what, um, uh, what Paul said in his letter to the Romans. He's talking with the Roman church, or the church in Rome, and he's saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel. He is finally and faithfully the one Israelite who will follow God, who will do it faithfully without any sin, and he will save us all. He spoke the similar thing to the church in Galatia, when he said that, that Abraham, and it spoke of his descendants, actually the, the Hebrew word there is seed. And it's interesting because Paul picks up on this and he says, it's not seeds, it's seed. And that seed is Christ. Or in Paul, that's the Greek way for Paul to say the Messiah. The Messiah, the king. Now see, this is maybe something new for us, but in the ancient world, a king was a representative of all the people. Wherever the king went, the kingdom went. 
And when the king spoke, he spoke on behalf of the kingdom, all the people who were included in it. So the fact that Jesus is Messiah, he is this representative. But this is not just Paul's new theology. Paul is learning this from the prophets like Isaiah. When Isaiah said that we were pierced, or he was pierced for our iniquities, he was crushed. The punishment that brought his peace was upon him, and by his wounds we have been healed. You see, because we've all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone his own way. But the iniquities of us all have been laid upon him. That there's this servant, that God has this servant, this Messiah who would come, who would be the representative, who finally and faithfully do what Israel just couldn't quite do. You see, God was working through the people of Israel. And sometimes they had great moments, great moments when they were a blessing to the nations. But for the most part, they failed. Now, I want to caution us as followers of Jesus that we don't think, oh, poor God. You know, he tried with the Jewish people and I guess that didn't go so well, so he has to figure out plan B. That's not what happened. God knew when he was making this promise to Abraham, he knew what he was going to do. Working through Israel was part of the plan. But he also knew that eventually it would come down to one faithful Israelite, one Messiah, his son, Jesus of Nazareth. But Jesus is this servant. He is this seed. He is the Messiah, the representative, the finally and faithful Israel. But not only that, Jesus is the one who brings the new covenant. Many of you, when we have communion, you remember the words when Jesus, or when he took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That Jesus is the one who brings the new covenant. Now see, the new covenant, we're going to talk some more about this in a few weeks, but the new covenant, prophets began to speak of it when they were in exile. When the people of God were in Babylon, they began to think or to hear God speak to them about a new covenant when the law would no longer be written on tablets of stone, but it would be written on their hearts. That they would live out faithfully what God had called them to do. And that God's spirit would fill his people and people from all the nations would flood into the people of God. Jesus is the one who has has begun this new covenant. But also, and we'll see this too, is that Jesus, he brings the people into the new covenant not just by saying, oh, hey, come on in, you're part of the new covenant, but actually by making us children of Abraham. Making us spiritual children of Abraham. If you would, take out your sheet again. And it's Romans 4, 7 to 11. Um, Let me just read this. It says, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or is it also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. 
And then it goes on in in verse 13, it says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes through faith. That through Jesus, by faith, by believing into him, by trusting our lives to him, we become spiritual children of Abraham. That's amazing news for us. That these promises that God has made to Abraham, that for us, by believing into Jesus, those promises become promises to us as well. These promises are for us too. I say this because I want to encourage you to know what we've believed into, what this means for us. That Jesus is the one who finally and faithfully represents Israel. And he's the one who has brought the new covenant. And it was at the new covenant that people like Paul and Peter, the first followers of Jesus, they saw Gentiles flowing into the people of God. And he noticed that they weren't circumcised. He noticed that they, that they ate all sorts of things that Jewish people weren't supposed to eat. He noticed that they didn't observe Sabbath, and yet they were still seemingly filled with God's Spirit. They were still made a part of the people of God. And he was amazed by it. We are brought into the family through Jesus. Through Jesus, Abraham becomes our father too. To put it in another term, my last name is Ashley. That's an English name. So I have English roots. But because of Jesus, my roots also go another direction now. They also go through Jesus, through David, through Moses, through Jacob, through Isaac, and through Abraham. These are our roots too because of, we, because of our faith in Jesus. I say this because the Old Testament is not just some, uh, some bits of information to help us read or to help us so we can just finally get to the New Testament. The Old Testament. Books of like Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the prophets, the Psalms, the history. These are our history too because we are children of Abraham, spiritual children of Abraham through Jesus our Lord. You know, it was, uh, there was a, an early Christian a couple, I think a year, 100 or 200 years after Jesus. His name was Marcion. He loved the gospel. So his idea was, I'm going to cut off the Old Testament because I don't like some of those parts. And I'm going to take the New Testament, not the real Jewish parts like Matthew and Mark, but, but Luke and Paul. I like those guys. That was his Bible. Luke and Paul. Sometimes we unwittingly do those same things as Christians. That we forget or maybe we haven't heard that the whole scripture, the whole book of the Bible is our story because of our faith into Jesus. So, maybe this has been full. Maybe there's lots of things and I feel like I'm trying to cram basically a sermon on the whole Bible from Genesis 12 to Revelation into one sermon. Does anybody else feel like that? But I'm trying to help us see. And if you take away one thing this morning, take away this, that creation was broken and God had a plan to set it right and he made a promise and he kept it in his son, Jesus, the Messiah. 
God is the great promise maker and he is the great promise keeper. I want you to do one thing this week. Of all the other things that God is saying to do, I want to put one more in there. Or if this is the only one you do, fine. I want you to read Genesis chapter 12 through 17. This week. So you can set down all the other things, read those five chapters. Just to hear God's promise as it grows through chapter 12 to chapter 17. God's promise and finally his covenant with Abraham. And begin to think about God's promises that he made and the promises that he has kept through Jesus to us. That God is a missional God. That as soon as things went God, as soon as things went wrong, God began a plan to set things right. He became a God on the mission. And by followers of Jesus, we too are a people on mission. I get excited as I think about this for us. As we begin to see the promises that God kept to Abraham and the ways they apply to us, and how that begins to send us out in God's plan, God's mission to redeem, to restore, to rescue all of creation. Amen.